And we need something. Farm work requires trips to the doctor once in a while, whether it's someone slipped and sliced a hand and needs a couple stitches or just the challenges that every person faces, uh, we're going to access those services and we need them. Choosing to go into farming is you have to be almost pathologically optimistic because of the amounts of challenges and stresses that it brings. Because although everyone needs farmers' food, we have yet to agree that in exchange we're going to keep them healthy so they can keep growing it for us. Welcome to the 315th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Minnesota farmer Dana Seifert compares our dysfunctional healthcare system to a long-term drought, one that's sucking the life out of individuals, families, and entire communities. She's seen the negative impacts of our current healthcare system from both sides of the coin. For one, she and her husband Mike farm family land near Jordan in east central Minnesota. Because healthcare is mostly tied to employment, entrepreneurs like farmers are forced to seek out and pay for their own coverage. And since they often have variable incomes, farmers have difficulty consistently qualifying for government sponsored insurance programs. Moreover, having insurance doesn't necessarily mean care is affordable, accessible, or of high quality. People often have to delay or skip necessary medical care because they can't afford the high out-of-pocket expenses if coverage is denied or if they have high deductibles or co-payments. In rural areas in particular, it's hard to find in-network services when and where they're needed. And it's become clear that lack of quality, affordable health care has negative impacts on just about everyone else involved in the food chain, from small grocers and truck drivers to farm workers and people who work in the processing industry. The bottom line, we cannot have a sustainable food and farm system if it's not sustaining the people who are involved in it every step of the way. As a physical therapist, Dana has also seen how the system puts people who provide health care in tough situations as they strive to keep people healthy while grappling with Byzantine piles of paperwork and bureaucracy. To top it off, patients are forced to travel long distances to clinics and hospitals as the big health care providers increasingly close facilities in rural communities. After years of grassroots organizing for accessible, affordable, high-quality health care for all Minnesotans, LSP and our allies made some progress during the 2023 session of the Minnesota Legislature. For example, lawmakers passed into law the Minnesota Care Public Option and the Prescription Drug Affordability Board. Expanded access to the government-subsidized Minnesota Care program will help make health care more reliable and affordable for farmers and others without access to employer-based coverage in communities across our state. And the newly formed Prescription Drug Affordability Board will have the power to rein in skyrocketing medication prices by carefully setting upper payment limits on high-cost drugs. We still have a lot of work to do before we have a fully effective health care system, but these small victories are a start providing a launching pad for future reforms. The Cypher family recently hosted an LSP field day where lawmakers got to see firsthand how public policies can help support regenerative, family farm-based agricultural systems. During the event, Dana talked to legislators about why farmers need access to quality, affordable health care. Her message? 
Farms and rural communities are facing a crisis on par with the economic crisis agriculture faced in the 1980s. After the field day, Dana and I sat in the shade of a big walnut tree and discussed the health care drought that's threatening farming's viability and what the options are for making the system accountable, sustainable, and resilient. Dana, we had a great field day here where we had some legislators out to talk about some of the needs that uh, farmers like yourself have and rural communities have. Talked a little bit about some of the advancements we made in the 2023 uh, legislative session. Mike, your husband, did a great job of explaining some of the things you guys are doing with regenerative ag and uh, soil health. Some of the benefits were we got through, through the legislature to support that. But one of the things that I think has been made clear to us in recent years is farmers like yourselves can't be doing these practices, do not have the time and the resources to do these practices unless they have good health care. That there is a real direct connection between a regenerative, sustainable agriculture and a sustainable, regenerative health care system. Could you talk a little bit about that? You had talked a little bit about just... For you personally, on your farm, kind of it's a little bit of a, there's a lot of risks you take with weather and everything else, but healthcare is a big one. Okay, so you guys are in your 40s, and you've been farming about five years or so. So yeah, you're at that spot where you're putting a lot of sweat sweat equity into the farm, and you're taking some risks out there, and healthcare is a big question mark for you, it sounds like. Yeah, it is for everyone who's working to earn their income. That's been primarily how I've helped out at the farm here, in addition to, you know, evening and weekend tossing hay bales around, is I was always the provider of the health care benefits for our family, which is myself, Mike, and our nine-year-old Olivia. So when I switched jobs a few years ago, we got to jump on Minshore because I was going from a large-scale employer uh, where I had a 15-minute commute and uh, it was part of a big system. I think they're technically the biggest employer in the state of Minnesota, maybe even. And my passion as a physical therapist working there had been to help develop their pediatric service line. I always say I... um, went to school, went to grad school so I could be paid to play with children. But that's my <laughs> that's my kind of joking way of looking at it because what I'm really loving to do is work with families and help their kids develop, grow, and thrive and have success early on so they're not my chronic pain patients later in life. Mm-hmm. So we can be active, we can be healthy, and just enjoy childhood. And sometimes that's a simple quick fix of a few months working on some stretches. And sometimes it's a lifelong of we're going to do an episode, we're going to work on some goals, and then we're going to come back. Um, And so I'm off doing all that helping out on the farm on the weekends, but I was bringing those benefits home. And then I ended up switching roles, I was discovered by an amazing group called Go Therapy out in St. Peter, which is another rural community. So now I'm looking at a 35 minute drive door to door. Uh, But when I jump out in that community, it's very exciting, the things that they're doing Mm -hmm. and the services that they're bringing to that rural community where I am now on Minsure because they're a small clinic and they can't afford the, quote unquote, available options for a small business owner, Um, which means now Mike and Olivia and I are all in that boat. (laughs) Now, this was a decision that we made fully aware of the consequences, but it's a decision that a lot of people living in rural areas don't feel free to make. So they're like my former co-workers who maybe uh, would drive 
two hours to get to a job in the Twin Cities because that was where the closest big system was. Uh, those were the closest big health care that had those benefits was. And we need something because farm work requires trips to the doctor once in a while, whether it's someone slipped and sliced a hand and needs a couple stitches or just the challenges that every person faces, uh, we're going to access those services and we need them. Choosing to go into farming is you have to be almost pathologically optimistic because of the amounts of challenges um, and stresses that it brings. And mental health among farmers is a concern, especially with the challenges that we're being faced with economically and ecologically lately starting to, if not exactly repeat, starting to rhyme an awful lot with the farm crisis of the 80s, which was another high stress time for farmers. And it was the birth of farm aid and the reason so many forces came together to address those needs. Uh, when we've gone down to one to two percent of the population supplying all of our food, <laughs> it's kind of a precarious situation. I think that's a really good point. It, it's, farming is one of the most dangerous occupations in the country and ironically has some of the poorest health care coverage that there is. And you folks are kind of a classic example of one spouse having to work off the farm to get to get the health care coverage. That's, that's a, sounds like that's a key piece. Yeah, in the previous generation, uh, my mother-in-law worked. She uh, was a waitress and she drove bus for the local school system. My father-in-law was doing carpentry work, which my husband had joined him in originally too. But there again, as a, you know, a self-owner operator, there was no one providing them with any benefits. So it's been the off-farm spouse as it is in many farm setups because although everyone needs farmers food we have yet to agree that in exchange we're going to keep them healthy so they can keep growing it for us. So during this last legislative session there were some it wasn't the reform we need the overall reform we need but there were some advances we made. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of some of it gives us maybe a little bit of hope of what can be as we make the major reforms that we need in the future. We were so excited to hear about the potential for expanding Minnesota Care with the public option. Right now, with our MNSURE, um, we do qualify for some subsidy, but also we're looking at premiums that can take up to 22% of our household income, and we're still looking at a $14,000 deductible before most of those benefits kick in, and even when they do kick in, there's that wonderful newer innovation of coinsurance. So it, it is and it isn't there. And that's at the low end of what's considered affordable. So we need not just access to insurance, we need affordable insurance that covers the holistic needs of a person. Everything from physical health, annual checkups, to mental health, reproductive health, everything that a human faces is faced on farms. So that was a big that was a big one. I mean, that was a con concrete step. One of the reasons maybe healthcare does not get fixed, quote-unquote fixed, is it is so complicated. But that's an example of there was some relatively straightforward changes that maybe could have some real significant benefits for somebody like you. Undoubtedly. And as we know with insurance, it, it comes down to the number of people in the pool. So despite the mandate to carry insurance, we know there's people that are going uncovered because of the fine for going uncovered is less than the out-of-pocket costs and they're they're taking that risks because the, in the short term 
their income is so tenuous compared to those costs, that's that's the calculus that for them makes the most sense. And, and it will make the most sense right up until it doesn't. And that's when those catastrophic events can really upend a person's whole life and livelihood. And I would love to see less of that, as I'm sure we all would. We want our neighbors and family to be doing well. So I think with the room there comes to expand the pool, get many, get farmers, get construction, you know, small small business owners, folks that are, you know, in those situations where they want to do the entrepreneurial thing, they want to contribute, grow the economy, live out the American dream in, in whatever field calls to them, but they want to do it in a way that isn't a cookie cutter, drive to the big city, work for someone else. They want to truly live a life that is, that calls to them and that is an a source of passion, mm-hmm. which is what farming is for for this family. Very much a passion and a, and a call from the soul to do this work because it is hard work. I say I don't need a gym membership because I get to move <laughs> 50 pounds bales of hay multiple times uh-huh. throughout the year. And then the grain bags over the winter months. So we're, we're well-rounded in our, our weight resistance program here. <laughs> but yeah, I just, the other thing too is just keeping... And I, not being an insurance-trained person, don't know where all the levers are that could be pulled and adjusted. But I see value in keeping rural clinics open and available. I kind of liken it to when a farmer brings his corn in, they might say, okay, right now the market is, you know, $5 a bushel. Everyone's been doing really well. The best we can do for you is, you know, $4.50, $5 a bushel. And then somewhere, someone is in a drought situation. And now all of a sudden, okay, well, now we're not getting as much in. There was this drought. We can pay you $7 a bushel. Okay. Not that we would ever wish bad conditions on anyone. That's just sort of the reality of the commodity market and what it's like in farming. If I compare that to what it's like getting health care in rural Minnesota, rural Minnesota health care has been in a drought for decades. We are hemorrhaging providers Uh, We are having a hard time keeping folks in these communities, and we need to reverse that because we need to keep our farmers healthy. We need to keep our rural communities healthy. Again, not knowing where all the levers are might hope that there could be some sort of a prorated pay scale to rural providers to just say, hey, we see you out there. We know you don't have all the resources of your big city, you know, cohorts. We want you to be there. We need you to be there. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you had made the, you'd compared it to the farm crisis of the 80s where we saw so much consolidation in farming. So then as a result, we saw consolidation in other Main Street businesses. Now we're seeing consolidation in healthcare. And I mean, is it, it's not an exaggeration to say there are people who are driving more than two hours now to get health care in, in rural areas, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. So earlier in my career, I had worked up in the Twin Cities, a uh, 45-minute commute as long as I left the house right on time and there were no snow mm-hmm. events. Um, and that was fine. I enjoyed it. I liked the challenge uh, of working in the big hospital setting. I was afloat. I learned a lot, met a lot of great people. But then when we were expecting our daughter, I wanted to be a little closer to home. And my manager, I think, 
just <laughs> hoping to not have to start the hiring process all over again because it's a pain. I understand where she was coming from was telling me, oh, you know, we've got people who drive more than two hours to come to work here. And I'm going, all right, that, that's, that's great for them. We're still going to be, <laughs> we're still going to look for something out where we live. But I'm thinking to myself the whole time, okay, these providers are coming two hours to the big city, to the big system to work. Who's taking, every, who's taking care of everyone back home? Who's taking care of that community mm. two hours away that still has people who break bones and get sick with influenza and, you know, have children with Down syndrome who need high-quality services and deserve high-quality services? Now, they're also having to follow that flow of resources and humans into the big city instead of staying thriving in those rural areas and I I honestly don't think that's necessary. Do you actually know farmers in this community who are going without health care at all? Do you know farmers that are doing it? I might know a couple. <laughs> I might know a co- I, I might know of a couple and yeah, it gets a little it gets a little dicey because you know you're running big equipment and just you can get going fast and things get weird and there's even there's even stories uh, back further in the Seifert family here of injuries that happened and it was, well, you know, wash it out, mm-hmm. put a Band-Aid on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hear those stories now and I'm like, you you guys are kind of freaking me out, man. But <laughs> there, was no, there was no way to afford that bill. And ironically, we need good insurance. And what I mean by that is something that actually reduces the cost. When Mike was working construction at one point, he got a piece of metal in his eye and he had to go and, you know, special drops and make sure it was removed and check eye function. And thankfully his eyes are still functioning fine. And then it happened again a few years later, a similar uh, incident. The only difference was the second time around he had insurance and he paid more for the visit when he had insurance because it was a low-quality plan. So no insurance and paying the necessary bills of what could have been a catastrophic event, it was just, you know, it was just a nuisance to a urgent level events. It was not an emergency level event. But that's always struck me as just very baffling how with insurance a person is paying more. I thought insurance was supposed to help lower our costs. That was always their claim. Mm-hmm. The, the reason they justified stepping between a provider and a patient was that they were lowering costs. And in this case, they sure didn't. I think that's a super good point because people often say, well, we have health care. Health care is available if you, if you, there's ways of getting health care. But there's a difference between just health care and quality health care, but also affordable healthcare. Those, those are two things that have to go together with that. It can't just be a blanket. Well, we'll pr- figure out a way to get you healthcare. Well, if you can't afford it or it's not good quality or you have to drive hours and hours, then you might as well not have it in some ways. Yeah. And this whole multi-tiered in-network, out-of-network, tier one, tier two, it's creating a caste system of haves and have-nots within the healthcare world that's really discouraging to see. And it's really frustrating when we've decided that insurance is going to be tied to employment. Mm. Those who are choosing employment like farming or entrepreneurship that don't come with those benefit packages are just very much 
left out in the cold. And I think part of the reason there's less of a drive to jump into some of the programs is because of that tiered system. And it's, um, it's technically there, but realistically, it's not providing the value that we need. We live in the same state as the amazing, world-renowned Mayo Clinic. <laughs> Geographically, we've got amazing potential to access it. And uh, we've got several families that that's just, it's not going to be a thing for them uh, who come to us. Our clinic was founded with the idea that we turn no one away. We take all insurance. We take people. We've had people who come to us with insurance who choose to pay out of pocket mm rather than go through the rigmarole of all the prior authorizations and the denials, which is another Byzantine aspect to our health insurance system that is used to avoid payouts of medically ordered therapies. You have been, you're on both ends of it. You've seen the healthcare system from different angles as a consumer of it, and so, as well as you're kind of part of that system too, and have seen it over the years. What would be... I guess most short-term and long-term, what would be the ideal system for you, for farmers, for people in rural communities, people who don't normally have access to good, quality, affordable health care that is accessible, that's in their community kind of thing? What would be a, have you ever thought about what would be kind of an ideal situation or have you heard of examples that you thought, oh, that would, that system might work, work well in this case? The systems that I like, that I've just again, learn bits and pieces about are the ones that truly have the incentives in place to prioritize preventive care. Mm -hmm. uh, in my field, that looks like after someone ha has a baby, if you are in part of the UK and part of their national health care system, at your six-week checkup, you have to opt out of physical therapy for things like pelvic floor, diastasis, um, management after cesarean section. It's assumed after your body has gone through this dramatic series of physical changes over the last year, and now you've got this little human that you're carrying around and taking care of, your body is going to benefit from a little bit of skilled guidance on recovery and function. And given how normalized pelvic floor dysfunction has become of, oh yeah, you just don't jump on the trampoline anymore after you have a kid, is sort of the colloquialism, and it, it really uh, gets under my skin because although it is common it is not normal and nor is it necessary so a system like that that acknowledges the reality that we know although we're still learning a lot we know some about how the human body functions and in times when it's going to need more support mm -hmm. they have structured their system that it is there and it is up to the patient to say you know what actually i'm i have none of these things thank you i'm gonna just take that off the to-do list. Mm. So something like that, I am comfortable with the idea of paying in more now to invest in a system that's ready for anyone who needs it when they need it. I've got family members that are very proud uh, libertarians who would rather not that not be the case, who've also, after an unexpected health event, had to literally do a Kickstarter to raise the funds for the hospital bills, for the months of rehab, for the in-home care later. That they were comfortable doing because they saw it as a need for themselves. Mm -hmm. I want, if not a national, at least a state-level system that pretends we're all close family. We're 
all got each other's backs. We're all going to contribute to this because, hey, you know what? We're all going to dip into it and we're all going to need it. So I would rather pay more taxes and have a system that's less looking like a caste system where people technically have health insurance, but that doesn't get them in the door of the clinic they need or to the specialist they or their child needs when they need it to figure out, boy, why does my kid keep coming down with pneumonia? Boy, why does my kid have so much trouble digesting their food that they're losing weight and we're really stressed about this? So in my point of view, I want a system that treats us all like family and is going to have us have each other's back because I think that would also help decouple some of the expectation that our health insurance is tied to employment, which is going to then free up a lot of entrepreneurial ideas and options for people to pursue when they're not just grinding it out in a job that happens to have benefits. We might have a lot more people looking to get into maybe even farming, you know, because then at least they know if they slip and roll their ankle, hey, it's okay. We're going to get this treated and we're going to get back in that tractor fast well they're going to get back in the tractor fast anyway <laughs> farmers are second only to second only to military veterans in how fast and how stubbornly they blast through and get back to what they're doing they're going to do it i want them to do it with the support that they deserve <laughs> For more information on LSP's work to create a system that provides affordable, quality health care for everyone, see the podcast page for Ear the Ground episode 315 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendell, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 